Well, good morning again, Grace Covenant family. So happy that we have this way of connecting and that we still get to feast on the Word of God together. You've got your Bibles open to Hebrews chapter 11. We continue our Legacies of Genuine Faith series today. We'll talk about Isaac, we'll talk about Jacob, we'll talk about Joseph in just a moment. But I find it remarkable, don't you? It's remarkable that some people can see the worst in every situation. Have you found that to be the case? Um, I remember there's a company called Despair. (laughs) Sorry, I know that's... uh, Wow, Pastor, thanks for encouraging us. Despair is the name of the company, Despair Incorporated. And you've seen the motivational posters. They came up with demotivational posters years ago. And they had one uh, labeled uh, essentially Hope, something like that. And they said, in every cloud there's a silver lining, dot, 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 but lightning kills many people every year. (laughs) Womp, womp. Do you know people like that? The Danny Downers, the Debbie Downers of the crowd, they always seem to have a word of discouragement. It's their spiritual gift. But here we are in a situation, a circumstance, a historic moment that we will never forget as a people with long-lasting impact. Things look dark, Because in a manner of speaking, they are. It's difficult to see um, words like pandemic and to say words like economic shutdown and say that with a smile or any kind of uh, genuine optimism. It's difficult for some to stare death in the face and think of a good word or a blessing on others. But that's exactly where our text takes us today as we look at Hebrews 11, 20 through 22. We catch glimpses of Isaac, Jacob, and, jo- and Joseph as they're nearing death. They're literally at death's door. <laughs> literally. That's, that's a word that gets overused today, but I, it actually means literally here. They're literally at death's door, and remarkably, we see their focus is on the Lord, His goodness, His promises, and His blessing on others, those to come after Him. In the moments we have together this morning, and I'll be brief, I'd like for us to catch a few other glimpses of these men that might give us some color uh, and understanding of just how weighty these statements were in the final moments of their lives. How they were able to have future-looking faith staring death in the face. Can we first look at Isaac? The verse there, the text takes us, Hebrews 11 Verse 20, by faith Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. Now we don't know much about Isaac. That's that's remarkable to say because the Bible, when God describes himself or reveals himself in the Old Testament, he often defines himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so you would think there'd be a whole lot there, but we really don't have a lot about Isaac. Here's a couple notes I wrote down, forgive me for looking away for a few moments, but Isaac was the promised son of Abraham, not Ishmael. Ishmael was the first son of Abraham, but Isaac was the promised son of Abraham and Sarah. Now, it was countercultural for them, but there was pressure on Isaac as the secondborn, but having the blessing of the firstborn. A lot of pressure there. I recently preached just a couple of weeks ago about how God had Abraham take Isaac right to the point of sacrifice uh, to really just to make a point of Abraham's devotion to the Lord 
God called him to lay Isaac down, as it were. There was some pressure there, but I'm sure Isaac never forgot the sound of the ram in the thicket and the sight of the ram. I would imagine he could remember even the smell of that mountaintop experience. After Sarah died, Abraham felt a great deal of pressure to set Isaac up for success in marriage. In fact, the Bible records in Genesis 24 that Abraham sends his servant out to Nahor uh, to find a wife for him. When the servant asked the Lord for success in his mission, while he was still praying, Rebekah appears. Now, I don't mean she p- appeared, but she came and shows up right before he's even through praying. And this would, is the woman, of course, who would become Isaac's wife. God met the need of this great overwhelming sense of pressure that Abraham sensed for Isaac to marry correctly. He didn't want him intermingling with the Canaanite women because of the promise. Isaac and Rebekah had twin sons. That was full of drama. You know the account, some of Jacob and Esau. We'll touch on that in a moment. We know that Isaac was greatly blessed by the Lord, that he moved around quite a bit, that uh, like his father before him, he also tried to pass off his wife as his sister. (laughs) when they were forced to travel to a foreign land due to famine. He was relatively, his life was relatively uneventful, but he was the connecting link between the patriarchs, Abraham and Jacob. He was the child of promise. I would characterize Isaac's life as a man who knew pressure, a man who knew what it meant to be pressure. We see God's faithfulness through Isaac's life, though, from his earliest childhood memories of the mountaintop sacrifice with his dad to his final blessings on his children here in Hebrews chapter 11. His life was characterized in some respects as a life of great pressure. Some of it at the hand of others, some he invited in on himself, but God was faithful even in the midst of great pressure. Would you let that sink in for just a moment? God was faithful to Isaac, even in the midst of great pressure. So what about Jacob? The text then takes us here, verse 21, By faith Jacob, when dying, blessed each of his sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. Jacob. How would we characterize Jacob's life? I would characterize Jacob's life as a man who knew weakness, Before God transformed Jacob, you wouldn't have bought a used car from him if he would have tried to give it to you, right? He was a trickster. That was his reputation. It's what his name meant. And despite his many faults, though, God used him to bless the nations and to pass the Abrahamic covenant through him. Jacob brought a whole lot of suffering on himself, but in spite of that, in spite of that, he came out a great man, in a great moment. His name meant trickster. The suffering he brought on himself was a result of him relying on his own strength and his own might. Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever experienced great suffering when you've tried to figure everything out and maybe get ahead of God? You'll hear hear people say often, you didn't really consult God's word. You just asked God to bless the plans you had in place. I don't want to jump to application too quickly, but you get out ahead of yourself, your strength, your might, and you wind up suffering as a result. 
Let's go back a little bit and think through some glimpses of Jacob's life. He tricked his dad with his mom's help. Talk about a dysfunctional family. Uh, he tricked his dad into giving him the blessing of the firstborn, even though he wasn't the firstborn. Can you see that again? My goodness. A lot of firstborn blessing mix-ups going on here, but God's sovereign hand was involved in that. But God spared him from Esau's wrath in Genesis 28. God blessed him with a visitation and a promise. Can I read to you Genesis 28, 15? God said, Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised to you. He ventures down to Laban's where he meets his wife, but he's tricked by his own family. Imagine that. He, the trickster gets tricked. But he endures and escapes Laban uh, and the plantation there, the, the land there. He endures that. He escapes that with his family intact. He's about to meet up with Esau in Genesis 31 when he reverts back to his old ways and tries to devise a scheme so that he can preserve and protect his life. But in the midst of that, the angel of the Lord appears to him calls him out in the night. And Jacob, again, tries to puff up, beat up his chest, right? Hulk up for a second. Says, I'm going to wrestle until I get a blessing. He relies on his strength, his ways, and his might. So the Lord takes something from Jacob. He took his strength. The Lord touches Jacob to weaken him. There's an old song, gospel song we used to sing in church. He touched me. Do you remember that? Oh, he touched me. Jacob's version goes like this. And oh, my hips are filled with pain. Something wonderful happened. And now I know he touched me. And now I'm lame. I don't know if that's how he would have written it, but it certainly applies. We often think of God touching our lives and setting us ablaze for his glory and lighting us up. Uh, for the world to watch us burn. Here, God touches Jacob and takes away his strength. We're reminded of the fact that Jacob failed, but Israel won. What a change there was. From this point on, his life would be submerged in the will of God. When Jacob was strong, he could do nothing right. But when Jacob became lame and broken, God used him. He didn't shrink back. Instead of bloodshed, when he met Esau, there was a welcome and wonderful reunion. God didn't need Jacob's strength to help him. God was faithful through Jacob's feats of weakness. In Isaac, we see pressure. In Jacob, we see weakness. In Joseph, we see a man who knew adversity. Genesis chapters 30 through 50. Well, first, let's read the text from Hebrews. I almost got ahead of myself. Verse 22, the final verse in our passage this morning. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. Genesis 50 through, or 30 through 50 <laughs> covers the incredibly rich and storied life of Joseph. Joseph's early life is such a sad story. Talk about dysfunction. Just like many children lack adequate coping skills, Joseph seemed to lack restraint in a family full of envious siblings. There's a difference between reaping what you've sown and experiencing an onslaught of adversity. Some of you call adversity um, 
the results of bad choices. You are, some of us reap what we've sown. We make bad decisions and we reap the consequences of those decisions. That's not adversity. That is, the old timers would say, if you lay down with the dogs, you're going to get up with fleas. That's just the way it works. Uh, uh, old preacher friend used to say, you can't run out naked in the 10 degree weather and curse the demon of the flu that comes into your life, right? You, there are circumstances, there are consequences uh, that are the results of our actions, but adversity are those unexpected and uninvited onslaughts of uh, circumstance that could cause us either to stumble or to succeed and thrive. Rarely are we innocent victims prone to wander, the songwriter writes, Lord, I feel it. There are times, however, through no fault of our own, that because we are in this world, we experience the adversity Jesus talked about in John chapter 16. He said, have peace. You've got peace in me. The world will give you tribulation. In this world, you will have tribulation. Why? Because the world's broken, broken by sin and our constant state of rebellion. But take heart, I have overcome the world, Jesus would say. Jacob was unfortunately, or jo Jacob unfortunately marked Joseph uh, when he favored him above the rest of his children so lavishly. Parents, just a word of caution here, favoritism never ends well. Now, Joseph didn't ask for that, but it set him up to fail with his brothers. Real quickly, think back through the life, the storied life of Joseph and what you know. In Genesis 37, he was betrayed by his brothers, thrown into a pit, sold into slavery, reported dead to his father. Joseph didn't ask for that. He was falsely accused in Potiphar's house. Even when he did the right thing, he was sent to prison. He was forgotten in prison after he helped the servants of Pharaoh. Joseph didn't ask for any of that. You know the rest of the story. He gained favor with Pharaoh. He prepared Egypt for the famine. He forgave his brothers and he moved his family to Egypt. And then at the end of his life, we get this glimpse here that points back to Genesis 50, 24. He says, I'm about to die. But God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Wow. So he speaks of the Exodus even when there's no real problem for the Israelites in that day. It would be another generation before the Pharaoh would forget the Israelites. Even with everything made in the shade, he knew God's people were headed for a land of promise. He didn't want them to settle for the good when God had promised the great. God was faithful to Joseph even through wave after wave of adversity. You're probably already there, church family, but hang with me for just another moment or two while I bring this to bear on us today. It's not a stretch to describe our current historic moment that we find ourselves in as a moment of great pressure, a moment of great weakness, and a moment of great adversity. And yet God reminds us that he's faithful. I want to share with you just a few promises that I hope encourage you. To the pressured, the Bible says in 2 Thessalonians 3, 3 through 5, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you that you are doing and the will to do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. To the pressured, I want to remind you, the Lord is faithful. Direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. And remember, the Spirit leads, not pressures.
to the weak, hear the word of the Lord. From 2 Corinthians 12, Paul would write, in a moment of great weakness, the Lord said to him, my grace is sufficient for you. It was sufficient for Paul, it's sufficient for you, friend. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul writes, I'll boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I'm content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. To the weak, be encouraged. God's grace is sufficient for you and his power is being perfected in our moment of weakness. And to those who are in the throes of adversity, which to some respects is all of us, could probably qualify for all three, can I point you to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, where Paul is writing about their adventures, and he makes this statement, we don't want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we have experienced in Asia, we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Instead, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not only on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Here it is. Here's the promise. You ready? Listen carefully. He delivered us from such a deadly peril. He will deliver us, and on Him we've set our hope that He will deliver us again. He delivered us. That's the past. He will deliver us, that's now, in the present. And he'll deliver us again in the future. Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph could come to the end of their lives, even through great pressure, weakness, and adversity, with a living hope for a future blessing. Make no mistake, brother or sister, we may not recover economically from this anytime soon. But Jesus said, take care and be on guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Our living and future hope is not wrapped up, tied up, and tangled all up in the affairs of this world. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the very throne room of God. Jesus intercedes for us, for you, when you're pressured. Your great high priest knows about your weakness. Our overcoming king sees us in our adversity. Remember that God orchestrated and allowed these things so that he might be glorified. He's not caught off guard in our present moment either. We are of the faith, like Isaac, like Jacob, like Joseph. We will not shrink back under pressure in weakness or adversity. In fact, if we hit rock bottom as children of God, we need to be reminded that the bottom is the rock of ages. We have future-looking faith because it's anchored in the Lord. Would you pray with me? I'd like to share a prayer with you from Robert Hawker that just feels right for the moment. Let's pray. Blessed Lord Jesus, let the faith of my soul be fixed and unalterable, one that admits neither doubt nor change. Let me, with full purpose of heart, cling to you, Lord. I see through your Spirit's teaching the Father's hand and approval in all your work and finished salvation. So here, indeed, let me be fixed. 
and never be doubtful of mine, but let me live and die in the full assurance of faith. Let me be well pleased with what my God and my Father is well pleased with, always rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God. May you have future-looking faith, even in great pressure, weakness, and adversity. The Lord be with you, church.